Forest and Crest. We are glad to see everybody here this morning. My name is Mike Pipkin. I'm one of the elders. We are so thankful that you are here in person or if you're joining us on our streaming. Either way, if you would check, text the word check-in to the number that's on the screen right now. That way we can take note of your attendance. You'll also get immediately a bullet, a, an electronic version of our bulletin. I will tell you that last week we forgot to announce that number at the beginning of our service. And so we only had 10 people check in last week. <laughs> but I can promise you that we had far more than 10 people here at our 50th anniversary celebration. In fact, we had more than a thousand that were all, all the way in here, wrapped around uh, our walls and standing out in the, in the bulletin. We should have uh, I think some photos that are going to be uh, coming up from our celebration from last week. We're just thankful for God's great blessing on, on that celebration for everyone who was able to join us, uh, for everybody that was able to participate during that wonderful day of celebration, and then our luncheon after that. We're just so very, very thankful for that. Now, part of... Uh, Part of what we talked about last week is the beginning of a 40-day time of prayer. I'm going to allude to that in just a moment and mention that during my prayer. But uh, as we are up here this morning, I also want to uh, continue to remind you of the opportunity to contribute uh, to our special contribution and collection efforts for the Ukrainian refugee effort that we are uh, continuing to focus on. Uh, we encourage you, if you are able, to continue to contribute to that effort. Uh, in addition to the, uh, to the two uh, programs, the Ukrainian Bible Institute and the uh, mission effort that's based out of the Neosho Church of Christ uh, that we've already contributed to from what we've collected, uh, going forward, we're also going to be contributing to uh, the Golfata Church in, in Greece. Dino Russos has already received at least 40 Ukrainian refugees. And then also we've got a, a missionary in, in uh, Slovakia named Roman Hamilek, who is also receiving refugees from Ukraine. So we're going to be uh, contributing those funds to support the, the refugee uh, help effort that is going on at those congregations as well. So please continue to keep that in mind. As we go to our, our Lord in prayer, I want to remind you, as I, as I said before, of the 40, day of prayer, 40 days of prayer effort that is uh, referenced in your bulletin. Uh, as, we, as we began our time uh, this, last, uh, this last week, uh, we continue to want to focus our efforts as we look forward uh, to the ways that God is calling out this great congregation, not only uh, for the, in, in, in a reminder of the 50 years that have gone by, but in the 50 years and beyond until God calls us home. And so, Lord, uh, we, we're now going to turn to our Lord in prayer as we continue our time uh, in worship here together, and we're going to focus on the ways that we are called out as a congregation. Please bow with me in prayer. Dear Lord, we are thankful. We are so thankful that you have called us your children, that you've shown, shown such love for us, that you sent your son to die on a cross after, after walking this earth and teaching us and giving the message of the good news, the gospel, to his disciples to spread throughout the world. And Lord, as we look forward as a congregation to the next 50 years, we ask that you help us to seek and to follow your will as a congregation and as followers of Christ through prayer and through study of your word. Lord, we ask that you bless our efforts to continue to follow the pattern of worship and service just as set out in your word. Lord, we ask that you continue to bless us as we follow the greatest commandment, to love you with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind, and to love one another as you have loved us. Lord, continue to bless our efforts to share the gospel in every way possible, not only in word, but in deed, and how we treat one another and how we treat others. And Lord, help us to realize that you're calling us to great things here at Preston Crest. Bless us as we dream of how Preston Crest can serve you in this location over the next 50 years. Lord, what a blessing it is to be children of yours. And thank you, Lord, for your son. It is through him that we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. But you, Lord, are a shield about me 
my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Let's continue our morning in worship. This is holy ground. We're standing on
as we enter into our time of communion this morning. We're going to sing one more song, and then Dr. Josh Kincaid will come and lead us this morning around the bread and the cup. Josh is from the Memorial Road Church of Christ in Edmond, Oklahoma, and he is here to help us kick off our special Bible class series in Deuteronomy. Robert will share a little bit more about that later on in our assembly this morning. But let's enter into this time of communion and adoration of our Lord. Christ. Good morning. I bring you greetings from the Memorial Road Church of Christ. I'm really thankful for the church at Preston Crest and our many mutual ties. I'm grateful to Robert for the invitation and to Robert and Jacob for the hospitality. And I'm grateful to be here to teach a combined young adult class to kick off the Deuteronomy study. I like Deuteronomy because it instructs God's people in regular practices that connect them with past times and other places. And through Moses, God tells his people to put his commands on their hearts, to impress them on future generations, to talk about them, to tie them as symbols on their bodies, and write them on their door frames. See, our devotion to God is often acted out through our regular practices. Practices like this communion. This is a moment of reflection and remembrance. It's also a moment of teaching, not so much done by one person up front, but by how, for example, children observe this regular practice that's commanded by Scripture. And so like the people in Deuteronomy, we are remembering what God has done for us, and like them, we're connected with God's people and other times and other places. And so in this communion this morning, I'm connected through space with my church family at Memorial Road. And I'm connected through space with Christians in places like Ukraine who are suffering so much. And I'm connected through time with that great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us. And so we, like God's people in Deuteronomy, need regular, steady reminders of what God has done because we are so prone to forget and we need regular points of connections with other times and other places. And so for this practice of communion, we are so very thankful. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we join with Christians around the world as we, on this first day of the week, remember what you have done for us. The sacrifice of your son and the forgiveness of sins, the assurance of salvation. We eat this bread you've provided for us just as you provided bread for your people in the wilderness. We remember and we are thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.
join me in prayer again. Father, as we drink this cup, we remember that your son shed real blood for us because he was fully human. His pain and sacrifice for us were felt deeply. And may his sacrifice inspire us to be selfless in our sacrifice for others, even as we can never fully repay that debt. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me just remind you of our usual ways of, of offering this morning. We have a box in the foyer as well as a box that you can click on our website for online giving. However you choose to give and further the work in this, in this place and in other places, uh, we thank you. We're going to pray in just a moment. Before we do, let me introduce to you Tim Burrow from the Sunset International Bible Institute. And he has a word this morning to share with us about uh, the current situation in Ukraine and the work that's going on there. Tim, come share with us. Good morning. Uh, before I was uh, the president of SIBI, I was a missionary for seven years in Mariupol, Ukraine. Uh, I was there as a, a church planter and uh, also taught at our Ukrainian Bible Institute for 20 years, first in Donetsk and also in Kyiv. This year, as you can see from the slide, we were to celebrate in this spring our 25th year of uh, preacher training. 
And as you look at the slide right now, when you see these cities that are there, uh, these are the places where our alumni have gone. We have over 250 who have graduated from our program. And they have gone everywhere throughout Ukraine to be able to preach the word and to establish congregations. Uh, since the war, uh, many of those congregations in the East have fled to the West. And as a result, uh, our graduates, along with UBI, which is currently in Sopot, Poland, is working through that network of people in order to be able to assist uh, the Christians who are fleeing both to Western Ukraine as well as to the nations which surround it. And so they are handing out aid uh, in terms of food and medical supplies. They are helping with housing, both temporary as they are going from place to place, as well as helping them to get set up in some of these foreign nations. With the support that has been given to us, we are also helping congregations uh, in Ukraine as well as congregations in places like uh, Romania, Slovakia, Poland, and, and other places in order to help the churches to be able to do what they want to do, empowering them to be able to assist God's people. We do anticipate this to be a very lengthy process. And so uh, I just stopped by today to say thank you on behalf of your brethren in Ukraine and those who are scattered abroad. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunities to serve, opportunities to give, opportunities to love. Not only in this place, but across oceans. Father, may we give freely, generously, just as you gave. Hear our prayer this morning. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I need to remind you, or let you know, I guess maybe, that on Jan uh, April 22nd, we're having a date night. Chris and Stacy Hatchett coming back this year to, to lead us in this, uh, this Friday night date night. Now, this is a, a time of marriage enrichment, and you'll get some tools uh, to help strengthen your marriage. So this is an open opportunity. If you know of somebody, maybe on your street from your workplace, acquaintances, friends, bring them in. It's $30 per couple. We'll feed you well. Loopy Tortilla is going to come and, and uh, cater our event. And then we will gather for just a, a, a great evening, a date night to strengthen marriage. And, uh, and you'll, uh, child care is provided. You can uh, register for that as well. So you can just go to the website and click on date night and it'll take you there. We're going to stand now. Let's, uh, let's send kids on up to Children's Church. And then we will sing one more song, and Robert Stolte is going to come and give us a word this morning. Over all the earth, you reign on high, every mountain stream, every sunset sky, but my Thank you. I hope it's not either. 
Well, what a delight to have Josh Kincaid with us this morning from Oklahoma City. He's going to teach a combined service or a combined um, Bible class at 945 called The Word of God for the People of God to Discover, Sea Life, Single Purpose, and Life Builders over in the Discover Room just right over here at Preston Place. Half of our 16 Bible classes are hosting this series over the next few weeks, and Josh is the one who wrote the curriculum. He's helped us work with our teachers to get us ready to bring this series to Preston Crest, and he graciously agreed to be here this morning uh, to kick it off for us for these four classes. Josh has served the Memorial Road Church of Christ in Oklahoma City as education minister since 2008. He writes curriculum, equips teachers and coaches small groups, and he really enjoys being a part of a ministry that helps people study and apply scripture. Will you help me welcome Josh Kincaid? A fun fact, my first internship was at Memorial Road in Oklahoma City, and this fall, my daughter Mary Ellen will be calling Memorial Road home away from home, so you take good care of her, okay? All right. You got my number? All right. Very good. <laughs> the Young Couples class will host Steve Holiday this morning over at Preston Place Suite 200 at 945. Uh, Steve is no stranger to us, having keynoted a marriage retreat with his wife Holly, among other events. Uh, Steve is the founder of Ultimate Escape, a nonprofit that focuses on presenting God's truth about sexuality through solid biblical principles and sound clinical theory. Steve holds a master's degree in counseling, a bachelor's degree in psychology with advanced training in sexual addiction, sexual identity, and sexual trauma. Uh, the young couples wanted to have Steve in to speak to them today because they want to know how to be Christ to their peers who are struggling with some of these issues. And of course, anyone is welcome uh, to attend either one of these sessions. Well, he's the God who prays. And we find him in John chapter 17, where Scripture says Jesus looked upward to heaven and he prayed. Let's listen in. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you, just as you have given him authority over all humanity so that he may give eternal life to anyone and everyone you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world was created. I have revealed your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They belong to you, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they understand that everything you have given me comes from you, because I have given them the words you have given me. They accepted them and really understand that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I am praying on behalf of them. I am not praying on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those you have given me, because they belong to you. Everything I have belongs to you, and everything you have belongs to me, and I have been glorified by them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them safe in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one, just as we are one. When I was with them, I kept them safe and watched over them in your name that you have given me. Not one of them was lost except the one destined for destruction so that the Scripture could be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and I'm saying these things in the world so they may experience my joy completed in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world, and I set myself apart on their behalf so that they too may be truly set apart. I'm not praying only on their behalf, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their testimony, that they will all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. I pray that they will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. The glory you gave to me, I have given to them. And they, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them, and you and me. That they may be completely one, so that the world will know that you sent me. And you have loved them, just as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they can see my glory, 
that you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, even if the world does not know you, I know you, and these men know you, and they know that you sent me. I made known your name to them, and I will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. What a powerful prayer. And if Jesus found it necessary to pray, I'm going to make prayer, and I think that's encouragement enough to make prayer a priority in my life, not something that I do casually or only in a crisis. I want to make prayer a daily priority in my life. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus prays as the cross is imminent. And so we see Jesus praying a solemn and serious prayer, but I can't detect a hint of a defeated spirit here. He just said in chapter 16, 33, take courage, I've overcome the world, and you're about to experience my victory on the cross. And then he goes to his Father in prayer. Now, did you notice he looked upward to heaven when he prayed? I did, and I tell you, I'll never forget that Sunday evening at my hometown church. The rule wasn't keep reasonably quiet and still. The rule was don't you move a muscle. And I want to tell you, the sister who parented and disciplined every child in the church sat directly behind me that night, and there I was locked into an impressive performance of not moving. Some of you know what it was like. When it was time to worship, you better be in your seat and be quiet. When it's time to sing, you better sing. When it's time to preach, you better listen. And when it was time to pray, finish the statement for me. You better bow your head and close your eyes. I remember one evening I was sitting on that deacon's bench. Do you know what a deacon's bench is? I was sitting there and I thought everybody's eyes would be closed. And so I was looking at everybody. And then I caught that sister out in the audience and she was going, What's it about that we bow our heads when we pray? What's it about that we close our eyes when we pray? What's it about that Jesus was looking upward to heaven when he prayed with his eyes opened? Matthew has Jesus with his face to the ground. Luke has him kneeling when he prays. There's so many impressive displays of prayer in Scripture that the posture of prayer must not be the essential concern. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 touches on this, and I'm just going to paraphrase it here. You look beautiful on the outside, but what about the inside? Isn't the evil one clever? If I can get Robert to obsess over impressive displays on the outside, he just might forget that the essential concern is the perspective and the position of his heart. And so the example of Jesus here is that he prayed. And while this prayer isn't the model prayer, it's a useful prayer. Have you ever gone to pray and you just didn't know what to say? When the demands and the dilemmas of life distract? When the pain and abuse of others disorient? When the hurried and chaotic life devours? A friend of mine suggested that this prayer could be a guide when I don't know what to say. And I want to illustrate it by dropping in a name. You can drop in any name. I'm going to use the Preston Crest Church just for illustration. I join Jesus in John 17, 15 as he prays for the Preston Crest Church of Christ. I'm not asking you to take Preston Crest out of the world, but that you keep Preston Crest safe from the evil one. Preston Crest does not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Set Preston Crest apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, so I sent Preston Crest into the world, and I set myself apart on Preston Crest's behalf, so that Preston Crest, too, may be truly set apart. I'm not praying only on Preston Crest's behalf, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through Preston Crest's testimony, that Preston Crest will all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. I pray that Preston Crest will be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. What a powerful and useful prayer. Now, some of our Bibles are going to have the heading, the high priestly prayer. And to understand this, we go to the book of Hebrews. I can sum Hebrews up in two words. Number one, revelation. That's God speaking to us. And number two, redemption. That's what God has done for us. 
It's Hebrews 9 that teaches us that we have something better than a temple in Jerusalem or a sanctuary in the wilderness. And even when the temple was built, there was no lasting solution for sins. Sacrifices had to be made over and over and over again, and the temple became sort of a monument to God's covenant and sadly a symbol of broken law. The sacrifice of Jesus, Hebrews says, is superior to all sacrifices because, among other things, his sacrifice was once for all. I want you to listen to verses 11 and 12. It says, But now Christ has come as the high priest of the good things to come. He passed through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And he entered once for all into the most holy place, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. And so he himself secured eternal salvation. So you know where we have the uh, earthly places of worship and we have the earthly places of sacrifice. They do point to heaven. But they were just a shadow of what was to come in Jesus. Jesus is the one who settled the sin problem once for all. Jesus is the one who opened up access to God. Jesus took away the restriction. And now anyone can come who believes in Jesus to God. So when Josh led our hearts this morning around communion, we didn't sacrifice Jesus all over again. We participated in a reminder of the once-for-all sacrifice that cleanses us from all sin. And when Jesus prays, he prays as our great high priest who on the cross made atonement for sin so that we'd never have to attempt to make it on our own. And in John 17, our high priest is about to make that sacrifice on our behalf, and he prays to his Father in heaven. Now, this prayer can also be seen as a link between the finished work of Jesus and the unfinished work of his followers. I want you to notice that Jesus speaks in the perfect tense as if his work has already finished, and he speaks of a future task that his followers will complete. So this prayer bridges his finished work on the cross and his unfinished work or the unfinished work of his followers. Now, another way to think about this prayer is with four words. The first word is glory. And I want you to notice the relationship of partnership here between the Father and the Son. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And then in verses 4 and 5, I glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me at your side with the glory I had with you before the world was created. Think of the relationship of partnership when you think of glory. I know glory is ultimately in heaven, but immediately it's Jesus on the cross, a place that we'd never expect to find it. On the cross, Jesus knows he's glorified in the Father, and the Father is glorified in him. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, You want to boast? Boast in the Lord. Glorify Christ who in his sacrifice brought glory to his Father. When Jesus goes to the cross, when he accepts the pain and abuse, joy is in his heart as he looks to joining the Father again. And he's saying, Father, I'm going to accomplish the work of redemption, and I'm going to return to you. Verses 1 through 5 is about glory. Now, when you walk through our foyer and you see that beautiful artwork out there depicting our mission, passion for God, compassion for people, reaching up, reaching in, reaching out, it's verses 1 through 5 where we find Jesus reaching up. Now, verses 6 through 19 is about safety, the second word I want to share with you this morning. John 17, 11 and 12, it says, Holy Father, keep them safe in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one just as we are one. When I was with them, I kept them safe and watched over them in your name that you have given me. This is a picture of the good shepherd. He knows his followers are going to scatter. He says it in chapter 16, 32, a time is coming and in fact has come when you'll be scattered. And this is the good shepherd. He's concerned for his sheep, that they be kept safe. And folks, this is really essential. Jesus doesn't say, I'm coming home and everybody's coming with me. He says, I'm going to leave and they are going to stay. Well, what's it about that Jesus is going to leave? Well, his work is already finished. What's it about that they're going to stay? Well, their work has just begun. And now he says, Father, I want you to keep them safe 
just like I did. I want you to imagine Jesus walking with them, living with them. I want you to imagine Jesus watching out for them. I want you to imagine Jesus guarding them and keeping them safe as he patiently teaches them. When I went to Dresden, Germany as a missionary, I asked one veteran missionary, how do you operate when you don't have elders right there with you on the field? And he said, watch out for them. You do it. You be with them. Guard them. Keep them safe. Patiently teach them. Do not leave them. Live with them. Go through life with them. And all the while you're teaching them to stay true to the Word of God. And now they have a, a task to finish. And he wants them kept safe from the evil one, verse 15. You know, the evil one's task now is to disrupt what's going on. Now, how is he going to do that? Well, he can't keep someone from coming to Christ, but he can distract them, though, once they're on the path. I want you to hear 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that everyone fathered by God does not sin, but God protects the one he has fathered, and the evil one cannot touch him. Now, that's another sermon, but I'm going to summarize it really quick. In other words, sin doesn't come as a result of fellowship with the Father. So when Jesus prays, Father, keep them safe, he prays that with confidence, and he knows that's going to happen. You know, it makes me think of spiritual disciplines not being performance-oriented, not just getting better and better and better at what we do, but it has everything to keep us, it has everything to do to keep us in fellowship with the Father. And I want to be able to say to him, I partnered with you on that one. Of course, no one believes in the evil one anymore, do they? Culture says he's simply the personification of evil. He's a harmless, cartoonish figure and a promoter of some of the best tacos in town. Don't let the culture fool you. Jesus doesn't have an overactive mind when he says, protect them from the evil one. Listen to John chapter 8, verse 44. He was a murderer. He's talking about Satan here. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. A murderer. That's severe language. And I'm on his list. And so are you. So enjoy your tacos today over lunch. Just don't be fooled by that cartoonish figure. Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Brothers and sisters, it's when one forgets about the spiritual battle that the battle begins within. When you find believers fighting one another, forgotten is this prayer of Jesus to keep his followers safe. Not from me, not from you, but from the evil one. Where there are believers who are obsessed with the dusting in their brother's eye, and they overlook the sludge in their own, forgotten is the unfinished work that we're to be about. I want to be able to say with Jesus, Father, keep them safe from the evil one. And I want to be able to say, Jesus, I partnered with you on that one. I didn't do the work of the evil one for him. Jesus prays for our safety in verses 6 through 19. And I just want to mention in these verses, this is Jesus reaching in. The next word is sanctify, verses 17 and 18. We're not taken out of the world, Scripture says. We're different, and we're still living in the world. And the daily work of the Spirit is to conform believers to His image. I was blessed years ago to sit with J.I. Packer. I wanted to sit with him and meet him, and I had the opportunity to do so, and I'll never forget that meeting. And I want to give you part of his definition of sanctification. Sanctification is moral renovation. We're increasingly changed. And this change flows from the Holy Spirit of God. God commands it, and God graciously gives what He commands. Sanctification is God at work. God's people are given the Word of God. God's people accept the Word of God. God's people obey the Word of God, and they're sanctified by His Word. Bob Chisholm gave me a sobering application the other day. He said, what does it take to renovate my soul? 
it only happens with my consent. He gives me things like prayer. He gives me his word. He gives me fellow believers to encourage me. He gives me spiritual practices. What will I give my thoughts to? I have a choice, you know. Whatever it is, it happens only with my consent. I'm so thankful to be part of a church that loves the Word of God, and we share it starting with our youngest child all the way to our oldest member. Even, you know, when I was a young dad, I thought nothing happens in the nursery but child care. And I was wrong about that. I came to know because as those nursery workers tenderly and kindly and sometimes firmly receive those children, they are sharing the love of God with them in ways that I could never do when I'm teaching a class. That's amazing to me. My little granddaughter, Mia, she's two and a half years old. She wears her little label on the back of her shirt with pride. You've seen those little labels, right? So we can keep all the kids straight. And she will not take it off all day. And when you give her stickers, other kinds of stickers, they go right there on her back. <laughs> oh, my. I can see her as an adult sitting in the counselor's chair and him wondering what happened. <laughs> but I'm grateful we love the Word of God, and we share that with all ages. I'm grateful for our teachers who teach, our class leaders, our task leaders, our small group leaders, our ministry leaders, our deacons, our elders, our ministers, our staff, our coordinators, everyone who serves for the purpose of making Christ known. We meet in Bible classes. We meet in small groups. We meet in spiritual formation groups. Some of us at 530 in the morning, can you believe? We have men's groups and we have women's groups. We have prayer groups. We have whole prayer ministries. We serve our city. We provide retreats and camps. We participate and support missions around the world. We have so many who consent to practice what we learn in Scripture. Verse 17 gives the means by which we're sanctified. It says, set them apart, sanctify them in the truth. Where do we have the truth? Well, it's in God's Word. In relation to God's Word, we become sanctified and set apart as we hear and as we understand, as we obey, and as we practice what we learn. And when we do this, we make Jesus irresistibly attractive. Listen to me close by those who are open right then, there in the moment, and to those who will become open in the future. They'll never forget your kindness, even if they're pushing back at you or on you in the moment. We make Jesus irresistibly attractive when we obey our God. Psalm 111, 119 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, who takes in the Word of God? Well, it's the one who hungers for it. You see it whenever Scripture is open, they're receiving nourishment. But if my heart is distracted, if my heart is pursuing the things of this world, I can attend this morning and find all kinds of things out of place and overlook the fact that I'm to take responsibility for myself and take in the Word of God however it comes wonderfully presented or not, in a class, in a small group, reading my Bible or listening to the voice of a child who reminds me that God is good. What is it that removes the hunger from one's heart? Well, it's not the Word of God. What is it that kills the desire for God's Word? Well, it's not the truth of God's Word. Is it criticism? Is it discouragement? Is it perfectionism? Is it pride? Next time you find yourself with great eloquence picking apart your brother or sister, consider and see if at times you approach your Father in heaven casually, disinterested, with a diminished hunger and disregard for what God says because, well, you filled up on something else. Sanctification takes place by the Holy Spirit 
through the Word of God. And you know, the only people you're going to want to go to in your time of need are the people who have allowed God's Word to set them apart, to sanctify them in truth in response to this prayer. And you know, the only people um, who are going to want to... Oh, how do I say this? The only people who are going to want to give God a hearing... I'm talking about the folks who are lost. They've lost their way. We've got a lot of those in the DFW area. I'm meeting them all the time. I'm astonished by the calls that I get in the office. It was a Buddhist family who called me and said, we lost one of our family members, and she was the only Christian among us. Will you come share the faith of Jesus with us? Because there was something in her heart that we want to know more about. And just a couple of weeks ago, a Muslim family calls and says, we lost our son to tragic circumstances. Did you hear me say a Muslim family? And they called Preston Crest. We lost our son. We need hope. Will you come speak hope to us? I said, well, you understand that the only hope I have to offer is hope that comes from God through Jesus. Is that okay? And the looks in their faces said, we've been searching for hope. We'll try that, please. The only people who the lost are going to want to go to in their time of need are the people who've allowed God's Word to set them apart, to sanctify them in truth in response to this prayer of Jesus. And quickly, the final word is unity in verses 21 through 23. Jesus prays to his Father that they will all be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. He prays that they'll be completely one so that the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them just as you have loved me. You see how important this is. This prayer is a direct rebuke of the injury that divisions cause. Unity that's from God is, is expressed clearly so that the world will be brought to Jesus. And a healthy and sound understanding of the teachings of Jesus is always aligned with a clear and obvious expression of our love for one another. You want to be a missionary? <laughs> you don't have to go overseas to do it. Scripture clearly and plainly says that as we love one another, people will see that, not just in our immediate surroundings, but they'll hear about it the world over. I don't know how that works, but it works, and it starts with the way we look at one another and the way we treat one another, never at, ex never at the expense of truth and always expressed in how we love one another so that, Scripture says, the world will know. So verses 20 through 26, that's Jesus reaching out. Jesus reaching out. As we close, I have a question for you. Where am I? I could be in one of two places, in the world and of the world, living by worldly standards, worldly goals, worldly thinking, worldly behavior, or in the world and by God's grace, not of the world. That's when I've realized that Jesus paid the price for my sin. That's when I accept forgiveness. That's when I admit sin. That's when I express belief. That's when I confess. That's when I'm baptized into Christ. And that's when I'm walking with the Lord. And I want to leave you with this scripture verse from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Pray with me, please. Our Father, humble us as you teach us to walk closer with you, as you teach us to love you, as you teach us to love others, as you teach us to pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Come to him. Let us be faithful, 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 Lord. We believe in the God.
closes us out with our scripture as part of his LTC uh, efforts. I want to I remind you of a couple of things. First of all, we're going to gather right back here tonight as we continue our study of the book of Genesis. Jacob Hawk is going to be leading, leading that. But even more importantly, and, and Robert talked about this, the way to get plugged in here at Preston Crest is to be part of a smaller group. And on Sunday mornings, those smaller groups are our Bible classes. If you're not connected with a Bible class, Go back to our visitor center. We've got 16, I believe, currently 16 adult Bible classes. We've got the youth group across the street. We've got the children's ministry upstairs. Those are the places to get plugged in here at Preston Crest, and we encourage you to do that. So hold in if you would. Uh, close us out with our scripture this morning. I'm going to be reading from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. You're dismissed. Thank you, sir.